thank you for taking the time to meditate with me on the beauty and the depth of the Word of God. It is breathtaking to consider the calling of God in our lives, that the same God who called Abraham, David, Elijah, Paul, Peter, and all the great men and women in the Bible has also called you. God has a specific purpose in your life, and He has anointed you to accomplish it. As you embrace God's calling, it is important that you know that there are two inevitable facts about your journey. The first, that it will bring you trials. You will be challenged, you will be stretched, and you will be pressured. But the second rock-solid truth is that we have a champion, and his name is Jesus Christ. And our champion is greater than our trials. Jesus was teaching his disciples these same two inevitable truths about their journey when he said, In the world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He was telling them, Don't worry about the size of the adversities that come against you. I am your champion, and your champion is greater than your challenges. I would like to share with you a passage of scripture that introduces Jesus Christ as our champion and reveals why he is our champion. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, from verse 1 through verse 11, and it reads like this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give you angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. You are probably familiar with this story. Here we have Satan tempting Jesus as he finishes 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. The story tells us that Satan tempted Jesus in three ways and in three different areas of life. In the first temptation, Satan tempts him by asking him to convert stones into bread. The enemy was tempting him to use his divine powers for selfish satisfaction that was disconnected from his divine purpose. This was a temptation of his natural physical needs because he was hungry. In the second temptation, Satan tempts Jesus by asking him to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple. The enemy was tempting him to engage in a public display of his power for the purpose of public recognition and glory. In the third temptation, Satan tempts Jesus by offering him all the kingdoms of the earth, saying, all these things will be given to you if you fall down and worship me. The enemy was tempting his desire of earthly possessions. Now, as Jesus overcomes each one of these three temptations, he was making a bold statement about man's first defeat in the Garden of Eden. 
When Satan tempted men in the garden, he attacked them in these same three areas of life with the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. The Bible says that, that when men saw the fruit, the fruit was good for food, pleasant for the eye, desirable for making one wise. Less of the flesh, less of the eye, the lust of glory. The Bible says they failed by eating from it. But Jesus refuses to accept any of Satan's offerings. But instead, his answer to Satan was, it is written. Our champion finishes this challenge victorious. But why is this victory so important? Let's take a moment to understand the context of this story. If we go back to the previous chapter, Matthew concludes chapter 3 with the baptism of Jesus in verse 16 and 17. And this is what it says. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let me start by addressing the elephant in the room. Why in the world would Jesus get baptized? John was calling the people to repent from their sins and get baptized. His baptism was a baptism of repentance of sins. If this was the case, why would Jesus get baptized if he has no sin? John himself was a bit confused by this, and he initially was reluctant to baptize Jesus when he said, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And to that, Jesus answers, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What is Jesus referring to? He's referring to fulfilling what Isaiah 53, 12 says, that he was going to be numbered with the transgressors. In the same way that through baptism, we identify with the divinity of Christ, through baptism, Jesus Christ was identifying with our broken humanity. This is what 2 Corinthians is talking about, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. It is only after completing this important fulfillment of God's purpose through baptism that the Spirit of God descends like a dove. And the Father says, this is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So as we start Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus transitioning from his extraordinary baptism experience to a 40 days and 40 nights period of fasting in the wilderness. Some Bible scholars argue that this was not a pre-planned fasting period, but that he was so moved by his experience and the declaration of the Father that from there he simply went immediately into the desert to spend 40 days and 40 nights meditating on it and digesting what he had received from the Father. So when the devil comes to tempt him, he was intentionally attacking what Jesus had received from his Father because what he had received was the key for his success. The first key to Jesus' victory was the knowledge of who he was in relation to the Father. God said, you are my beloved son. This was a declaration of divine identity. I am the son of God. That was key for his victory. And that is the first thing the enemy wanted to destroy. We are able to see that his identity in God is the first target of the enemy in the text. If you pay close attention, you will notice that the last word spoken before the fasting was God saying, this is my beloved son. And the first word spoken after the fasting was the devil saying, if you are the son of God. 
This right here shines light into what Jesus was meditating during the 40 days and what he was eating for 40 nights. This is the word that was nourishing him and sustaining him. Let me explain. Jesus was about to start his ministry. So the father made it a point to affirm his identity. You are my son. You're about to do the impossible and accomplish the unbelievable, but your victory is not in what you are about to accomplish. I have called you and empower you to be fruitful. But the outcome of your work does not determine who you are. In the same way God has called you, he has called me to be fruitful, to do the impossible and accomplish the unbelievable. But before we get to do, before we get to work, before we get to be fruitful, it is imperative that we know that our identity is not defined by our accomplishments. Your kingdom value is not defined by your kingdom contribution. Your kingdom value is based on your kingdom identity. You are a child of God. Your ministry can be the source of your identity. Your ministry must be an expression and an outcome of you knowing that you are a child of the Most High. Our victory is not in our efficiency or our productivity or our results. Our victory is found in that we are children of God. The second key is that God not only said, you are my son, but he also said, in whom I am well pleased. In other words, he was telling his son, I approve of you. This declaration from the Father was important. Jesus had not started his ministry yet. He had not performed any miracles yet. He had not healed the sick, raised the dead. He had not yet given sight to the blind. He had not accomplished his final purpose of redeeming humanity through his blood. He hadn't started, and yet the Father said, I am pleased. The Father was releasing his Son from the pressure of doing ministry for the purpose of pleasing people. Son, I am pleased. If your fruitfulness has become your source of affirmation, you are in trouble. You can't preach for the amen. We cannot sing for the applause. We cannot serve for people's recognition. In the moment we start pursuing the affirmation of people, we will be derailed from God's purpose and calling for our lives. It is a dangerous thing to do ministry seeking the approval of people. People one day will love you and say, Hosanna. And the very next day, they will shout, crucify them. More importantly, God's approval brings God's favor. In other words, if God says yes, it really doesn't matter who says no, for God has approved it. If you look back in scripture, you will see example after example of men and women who received God's approval. And despite the opposition, God's approval was a way maker. Moses had the opposition of Pharaoh and the Red Sea, but neither one of them was able to stop God's people because the action carried God's approval. The problem of man's approval is that it causes you to depend on their favor. I rather depend on the unlimited favor that comes from God's approval. Let me conclude with this. The word temptation is not the best word to describe this event, the temptation of Jesus. The best word will be the testing of Jesus. The original biblical word temptation means both to test and to tempt. So, depending on the purpose and situation, you will understand the meaning. In this case, we know based on James 1 that God does not tempt and cannot be tempted. So, we know that this is a test because it was the Holy Spirit who led him there. This moment was the moment when Jesus was being recognized as the perfect Lamb of God. 
What John has said about him, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, for Jesus to meet the requirements to take the sins of the world through his sacrificial death, he needed to be a perfect lamb. To be perfect, he needed to have no sins. When the Spirit led him to the desert, it was to accomplish that, the proof that he had no sin and that he was the perfect Lamb of God. Let me, let me explain. The Bible says that when we are tempted, we are tempted because we are drawn by our own sinful desires. In other words, you can only be drawn to do evil because of the evil that is within you. So a temptation is like a long arm that stretches out towards you, hoping that it will find a handle to open that door. Our fallen, broken tendencies is that handle in us that, that the arm of temptation is trying to grab a hold of. That handle in us, that temptation is still trying to get a hold of, is the evidence of our falling nature that we are not perfect. So when Satan stretched the arm of temptation trying to find in Jesus something to hold on to. It couldn't find a handle because Jesus had nothing in him that was drawn to evil. Jesus had submitted himself to be tested by the devil so that Satan himself could attest that Jesus was perfect. It is only because of that status of no blemish, no imperfection, no sin, that Jesus was able to stand as the perfect lamb of God whose blood was able to redeem my life and your life. In that moment, creation was able to declare, we have a champion. In that moment, heavens and earth was able to declare, indeed, we have a champion. And because we have a champion, I will not fear what the enemy may scheme against me. Let hell rise in opposition against me. I have a perfect, undefeated champion. And because he is my champion, I will fear no evil. Because he is my champion, I will walk confidently. Because he is my champion, I am head and not tail. I am above and not beneath because he is my champion. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against me in judgment shall fail. Yes, the enemy will still plot to kill me and will throw his fiery darts against me. But Jesus Christ is my champion.